Welcome to another episode of On the Highway. I'm your host, Megan Anderson, and each week we bring you an expert in the mortgage and real estate realm. You can learn how to navigate the housing and real estate highway to take your business to the next level. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's get driving. Welcome to another MBS Highway Live Monthly Webinar. I'm your host, Megan Anderson, and today's guest is very special to me. I met him when I was facing my own adversity, and I decided I was going to follow my dream. And it just so happens that the exact plane ride that I was on, he ends up sitting next to me. Now, my first thought when I saw our guest was, who is this famous rock star that I need to know? But when we started talking... I realized that this man is a master at overcoming adversity. He moved to Florida with a few hundred dollars in his pocket. And since then, he's become known as the real estate artist, having created and sold 44 oceanfront mansions on spec with the average list price of 14 million. He's also a total badass. He's raced in the Badwater 135-mile ultra marathon in Death Valley, California which National Geographic refers to as the world's toughest foot race. He's built 30 self-sustaining villages over the last 21 years in Haiti, providing over 13,000 children and their families with homes, schools, clinics, churches, renewable food, and clean water. He's also a keynote speaker and author, having written eight books in seven different genres. And his newest book is titled Adversology, Overcoming Adversity When You're Hanging On by a Thread. And we know that today's market has had its challenges, which is why today he's going to be discussing with us how to succeed in the face of adversity. Join me in welcoming Frank McKinney. Hey, everybody, Megan, let's get out of the band. Band life is for both of us. We, we'll save that for another story, but I'm, I'm pumped because you and I have been looking forward, I've been looking forward to this for four months. Uh, yep. Coming to you from North Carolina, I, I wrote all my books in a treehouse. I'm in my North Carolina glass cabin, kind of like a glass treehouse, uh, where I did write Adversitology, Overcoming Adversity When You're Hanging Out by a Thread. For all of our guests, all of our friends today, we are going to face one of the following four forms of adversity during our life. Financial, maybe right now. Physical, spiritual, relational, or all four at the same time. And so today we're going to help you, I hope, get through what might be a bit of a challenging time. I'm in the real estate market, been in it for 35 years. I've watched rates go from, yes, I'm old enough to remember the days they were, 18%. And basically, money was free for the last 14 years, free-ish. So when we see you know 7.5% interest rates, uh, the, the, the public who has never seen anything above free flips out. There is a way to succeed at a, in an interest rate environment, or even if you're on the buyer-sell side as a real estate agent, there's a way to succeed. Mm -hmm. And you know, just to kind of give a little bit of groundwork here for the audience, I know that I introduced you, but can we specifically talk about moments in your life where you have been faced with adversity and the different types of adversity that you just gave us? You know, I mean, this is really not about, nobody cares about my adversity. I care about yours. I care about helping you overcome yours. That's why I wrote the book. Uh, I can help you get through it quicker 
whatever it is, and with less pain, I can't help you avoid it. So, you know, let's just go down the list. Physical adversity. I was, I was diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia on, on uh, March 11, 2020, the day the country was shut down. Basically, I got a death sentence from my doctor. Well, I found a way to overcome that. That's what caused me to write this book. Uh, I was nearly eating out of a dumpster at one point when I had a $30 million unsold house on speculation. I was, I was so far in debt that I was having to um, metaphorically rummage through the dumpster to try to make ends meet. My wife and I have been married 33 years. We've been on the altar once. We've been at the divorce altar maybe two or three times. We found our way back from that. So, you know, financial, spiritual, relational, um, you name it, I, I, I think we've all faced it. And, but but how, how can I help you get through it quicker and with less pain? In adversitology, I take the word adversity, A-D-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y. It's a nine-letter word. There's nine steps to get through your physical, financial, spiritual, relational adversity. The first thing we have to do, A, the A word in adversity is accept. Let's accept the fact that we're in the environment we're in. The days of, of you know, 3% 30-year fixed rate mortgages, they're probably gone for at least five years, M maybe for the, the tenure of your career. Higher for longer, as we've heard the Fed say, is going to be a reality. We'll get excited when they stop hiking, but these rates are going to hover, 30-year fixed, 15-year jumbos are going to hover between 7 and 8% for years. Once it becomes the new normal, People are going to have to buy houses. People are going to have to refinance their houses. They're going to have to move, you know, they want to downsize, upsize. For the entire length of my real estate career, and mind you, I went from a $50,000 crack house that I bought and flipped and made seven grand all the way to a $50 million house I built on spec. The average rate, interest rate over that tenure was 8.25%. And I was still able to make a fortune. I was still able to sell these houses to people who some of them did have to finance them. Most of them paid cash, but they had to pull that cash from somewhere. So, you know, I, I sit here as a, a living testimony to how you can, let's do it. We've accepted the fact that we're having a little bit of a challenging time. The, the, the D word in adversity, disidentify, quit identify, quit giving this adversity so much energy. When I was sick and I was on my deathbed, I... I just told you the disease I had. I will not say it again during, during this Zoom call. I, I only referenced it in my book once. I chose the demons we fight are the demons we empower. The things we renounce are the things we give energy to. So let's quit identifying with this being a tough time, and this being a challenging time, and you having to get out there and pound the pavement. Let's get back to basics. Let's get back to basics. Let's get creative, right? There are creative ways to get out there and do deals. And it starts with putting your shoes on, lacing them up, and pounding that paper. They're not going to come to you. You've got to go to them. Yeah. Now, I want to talk about these two, you know, accepting it and then disassociating with it. Because at the same time, they kind of feel like they come up against each other a little bit. And I, I kind of want you to just break that down a little bit more. Now, I've read the book, and I understand these differences. But... How do we accept it, but also not give it power? Okay, so the first step is get your head out of the sand. That's a part of the acceptance. If you stick your head in the sand, if your head's sticking in the sand, what's sticking out of the ground? Your ass to get kicked. So get <laughs> your head out of the sand, accept the fact, Frank, accept the fact you have this diagnosis. Quit crying about it. 
yes, it's the it's the it's the body, it's the mind's defense mechanism uh, to deny, like the state of denial. Man, I was on a magic carpet ride for for almost twenty five years. My middle name was Midas, and I was covered in Teflon. Everything I touched turned to gold until that magic carpet was ripped out from under me with that diagnosis. I I can't say I quickly moved to acceptance, but once I got there, then I realized, okay, this thing called CML, I'm not going to say the word. Um, I am not going to, I've accepted the fact I have it, Megan, but I'm not going to give it any energy. What did that mean? I didn't tell anybody but five people, my wife, my daughter, my spiritual advisor, my therapist, and my mom, because something like that is you need only a mother's love can help you with that. Five people. I also didn't want prayer warriors or get well cards. This was something I was going to concoct a plan to get through on my own without feeding it the energy. I'll spare you the long end of the story, but my best friend died from the same diagnosis two weeks before I was told I had this. And you know what I watched for over a year? I would go to his hospital room and I'd see all the balloons and the get well cards and the plasma donations. And I'm like, man, screw this. I don't want anything to do with giving that demon that was, it was an intruder in my body. I wasn't going to give it any energy. So the, the thoughts are bifurcated. You can accept something, but you don't have to give it any energy. And for those of you that are on the call right now, you know, I think a big part of this lesson with what we're all currently experiencing in today's market is don't give it energy in the fact of going around to your referral partners, people in the office complaining about it, complaining that times are never going to be as good as they once were. That is giving this energy, not to mention it's dragging the energy down. It's not the direction that you want to be going in. So right when you said that, it brought me back to my prior book called Aspire, How to Create Your Own Reality and Alter Your DNA. That was the subtitle. That book is still on fire. It came out about two and a half years ago. Aspire, How to Create Your Own Reality and Alter Your DNA. Kill the person you were born to be be, to become the person you want to be. If that means stopping at the water cooler and and quitting the the negative talk, it's just going to perpetuate in in this maddening cycle. I chose to kill the person I was born to be, which was either going to be a banker because my father was a banker, my grandfather was a banker, or a criminal because I was in juvenile detention seven times before I turned 18 and I went to four high schools in four years, graduating with 1.8 GPA. So I killed the old, it was Mickey McKinney, and I created the person I wanted to become. There's a reason I work from a treehouse. I don't want negative energy influencing my creativity. So if you are one of the lucky ones who can, t- yes, you have to listen to the news and what the Fed's doing, what rates are, and, you know, wh- wh- how many houses are on the market, what the inventory is like. Take that I- information and instead of complaining about it, go change it. Go do something about it. Back to versatility, the V word, violate fate. Violate fate. What does that mean? So we've accepted the fact the market's tough. We're disidentifying it. We're not giving any negative energy to it. We're not giving energy to it that's going to perpetuate it into something bigger than it really is. Violate fate. There's many people in your life that are well-intentioned who are going to project their fate upon you. I'm going to use my example. My doctors who said, yes, you have this disease. There's a chance you could die. And this is, this is the likely path you should take. Uh, as a businessman, Frank, you don't have a, uh, an education. You came out with a one-point GPA. You don't look like a businessman. It's highly unlikely that you're going to succeed. Well, 
I, I want to change the mind of fate itself. I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to listen to my collaborators, Megan, the collaborators underneath your umbrella of your company. I'm going to listen to them, but I'm not going to allow them to create my own fate, my destiny. I'm going to, I'm going to take the best of that information like I did with my doctor. I'm going to collaborate with him, but I'd be damned if I'm going to, if I'm going through a divorce, I'll be damned if I'm going to get a, let a lawyer determine my fate. I'm not going to let go of the rocket ship that is my own life. Please, when you're in this, in, in any form of adversity, the natural reaction is to take the controls and give them to somebody else. Give them to somebody who's a better expert, maybe one of your team members, maybe a talking head on TV. It's and if you're having then real- the blame isn't on yourself, right? Well, it's it's a cop out. It's a real easy way. That's not what leaders do. That's not what successful people do. Yeah. You dig in, uh, roll up your sleeves, take the lunch pail approach, and just show up day in and day out. And eventually, you will break through because of your your work ethic and your persistence. Mm-hmm. Which brings up another important aspect, I think, to you know achieving that is discipline. And, you know, you have so much discipline. I remember when we were on the plane, you were talking about how you needed to get surgery on your knees and you had done everything under the sun, you know, to, to get these knees fixed. And I mean, you came back every time to do the bad water challenge and still, so I, you guys, this is the level of discipline that this man has. He gets surgery. I'm on Instagram. We follow each other on Instagram. I'm watching his story. The next day after surgery, you are up at 4 a.m. like you always are outside. It's pitch black. You're on your crutches getting it in. Can you explain why discipline is such an important aspect when it comes to facing adversity? So so we jumped off violating violating fate would say, was it a good idea a week after surgery? I had both my knees replaced on the same day, by the way. Very few people do that. Of the, my doctor has performed 8,000 knee replacements. He's done 10 where he did both on the same day. I didn't have to advocate for it. He knew I had the mindset that could take it, and I was fit. I was, you know, wasn't some 80-year-old guy that would have had to struggle with it. So, so right after I did it, I asked him. Matter of fact, I sent that video that you're talking about to him and said, is this cool? Can I be doing this? I even brought my PT guy out to the bridge where I was dragging this tire at 4 a.m. to say, am I walking right? You know, I'm not I'm not going to be foolish and undo everything that was done, but I'm the one that's going to advocate for getting out there at 4 a.m. You know, one week later, yes, I was on my my crutches. I think two weeks later, I was on two canes. Three weeks later, I was without either. And just like it's been two months since I had them both replaced. I'm now up to a 13 minute mile, you know, wow. and this is, this is just two months into it. I'll be down in the tens and I'm not a young guy. So the, the fourth chapter, we did ADVE. E stands for every single day. There's things that you must apply in terms of taking that lunch pail approach. Nothing fancy about that. There's no glamor in taking the lunch pail approach. And when I was sick, Megan, I mean, even to this day, I drink, Two to three ounces of, of fresh squeezed lemon juice every single day to, to 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 alkalinize the body, to detoxify every single day for three and a half years. Now, do I miss a day or two here? Do I do I hit the snooze? I don't even say I hit the snooze button. I mean, I really don't. If I if I sleep to my alarm, which is maybe twice or three times a year, I know I'm so tired I shouldn't wake up. 
maybe you should sleep, Frank. But I always felt, and I learned this from my mentors, that Frank, you are not the most educated person. You don't have access to all this funding. The one thing that will get you through, and this is from my mentor, Rich DeVos, who was the co-founder of Amway. He said that, Frank, if you just persist, you don't need to be smart to persist. If you just persist and you, 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 you don't have a problem getting up at four, like I don't have a problem getting up at 4 a.m., eventually that discipline will pay off for you. It, it will pay off with a, like a 70 IQ of your discipline. So, you know, this is that, that every single day for most people who've read that book is the hardest chapter for them to comprehend. I mean, there's just, and, I, and I, I encourage you to get get the book either, you know, like you listen to it on Audible. It was really cool the way it was third person, first person, my wife, my daughter. But, but you know, I, I don't want to sound trite and cliche, but in times like this, this is when you've got to just roll them up, man, yeah. and get out there and just put in that that full day knowing you, you, you did your absolute best. Eventually, ultimately, you'll pay off. When I'm running that 135 mile race across the Death Valley Desert in 125 degree heat, where the pavement on the on the you know on the on the ground on the road, I'm not running in the sand. I'm running on the road. Is 200 degrees. Ugh. People say, how how do you do that? I mean, how is it possible that you can run 135 miles in, in you know under in, under uh, two two uh, two days? You have two days to finish it. My question, I turn around. And they say I can never do that. Okay, well I was one step away from the couch as a couch potato. Other people had done this race. I, my coach, who was a woman, she she said, Frank, of course you can't run 135 miles in 125 degree heat, but could you run one mile? Could you go out there and just do one mile? You can walk it if you want in 120 degree. Yes, her name was, yes, Lisa, I can do that. Why don't you just do that 135 times? Do one mile 135 times, you know, little bites off the elephant. Yes. And, and so I have a I have a mantra, and it's actually a chapter in my Aspire book. It's a very simple mantra. I, I hope that you guys go out and get it tattooed on your, well, not on your forehead because everybody will see it, but put it on your arm or something. Relentless forward motion. Relentless forward motion. That means to me, not in a 135 mile race, Megan, it's not running a 10 minute mile for two days. It could be cr crab crawling, which is backwards with my face up. Because because I, I was afraid I was going to pass out from my blood being so thick. Relentless forward motion, running, walking, crawling, puking, crab crawling. But I am moving forward. My wife had a good, you know, I, I raced that race 12 times. I've made it seven. I've failed five. The few that I almost quit, she said, look, the, the hotel's that way and the finish line's that way. You're in the middle of the, in the, of the road here. You, either way, you, you've got to move to go back to the hotel and quit or go toward the finish line. So why don't you relentlessly, relentlessly start moving toward the finish line? Relentless forward motion is a simple way to kind of change the synapses of the mind to be more disciplined. And I think for everyone, you know, listening right now, this every single day aspect this is about getting down to basics. Are you making those calls? Are you reaching out to those referral partners, right? Are you doing marketing on social media? Are you doing the proper follow-ups? Just getting clear on the fact, what can you be doing every single day? That's it. And, and watch it. I just wonder how many people, if there's a thousand people on this call, I wonder how many people will make an excuse not to at least 
apply one of the things, one of the tools that you've been given to try to generate business or generate a lead? How many excuses are floating around out there with a thousand people? If, if we could, do you have another question or can I go to the next letter? Go to the next letter. Okay, the next letter is risk it. R, the R letter, A, D, accept, disidentify, violate fate every single day. R, risk it. I don't care if you're head of the Tupperware club. I mean, I don't care if you are a stay-at-home mom and you just collect stamps for a living. You have to take risk in life. And at, at the stage of my diagnosis, my illness, I realized that I had to take a huge risk if I was going to get back to being a better version of the old Frank. A, I don't want new normal. I want a more frequent extraordinary is what I want. And so in the middle of COVID, where my immune system was super compromised with this with this disease, I got in my Yugo, look it up, Megan, you're way too young to know what kind of car that is, but I drive a Yugo, it's zero to 60 and never, it's got like an 80 horsepower engine. And I did a pre-release tour for my book, Respire, driving from Florida all the way to Death Valley, California, to the Badwater Race Course, which was over 3,000 miles and back, stopping at 26 cities in between to kind of gather data for my prior book. That was a huge risk, but the moment I landed in Death Valley, the place that makes me feel most alive, because that's where the race is, I got a piece of my soul back. I got the glisten and the sparkle in my eyes back. It was a, it was a huge risk. When we're faced with adversity, like we all are right now, and I'm not going to give any more energy, you all know that, you've got to take some risks. And those risks are going to involve maybe some practices in the business that you haven't applied before. You know, I mean, get creative. Uh, help the seller buy down points and, you know, get them to make that deal happen to get to that seven and a half percent. Nobody, listen, nobody wants to jump out of a 3% mortgage into a seven and a half percent. There is a way to entice them in order to do that. And, and, and part of that is you taking risk. You know what? I don't have big muscles, but I have a huge risk tolerance. And if you exercise your risk tolerance, like your risk threshold, like a muscle, Eventually, it will become stronger and able to withstand greater pressure. If I look back at my whole career, Megan, the one I'm afraid every single day of my life, I will say that in business, when you have a $20 million spec house and it's sitting there unsold, I'm afraid every single day of my life, but I have learned not to let fear stop me. Mm. Easier said than done. How do, you, how do you get to the point of not letting fear stop you? I'm going to tell you right how to do it. It's very, very simple. When you contemplate taking a risk, so we're in the R chapter, you're contemplating taking a risk. It could be a financial, a physical, a spiritual, relational, some kind of risk. That risk almost always involves a big change or a big challenge in your life. When you think about taking that risk, what's the next four-letter word that appears almost instantaneously? Fear. Right. Let's break that down for a second. I, I'll give you a metaphor. We're, we're in a roller coaster. We're, we just sat down in the chair, and the bar just went over our, our waist, and it clanked into place. Well, your, your blood pressure just went up a little bit because you're looking up the hill. <gasps> and, then the, and then the latch goes. And it releases the cap, the cars, and they start to clickety clackety click up to the getting close to the top. Now you're about ready to pass out because 
what's what's about to happen? You're afraid of the thought of something that's about to happen that hasn't happened yet. You're sitting in that chair safe and sound. You're, there's no reason to be afraid. You are sitting. Fear goes away when we take action. It's the thought of taking a risk that invokes the fear. Once that car goes over the hill, Megan, we've all been on a roller coaster. Yeah. What do most of us do? We throw our hands in the air. Get excited. And when the ride gets to the end, we go and jump out and get to the back of the line, do it all over again. That's what happens. So, so recognize that when you think about taking on a big change or challenge in your business uh, through, through risk, it's the thought of fear. It's, I mean, it's the thought of risk that induces the fear. So that's how I get through it. When I feel fear, Megan, I know I'm doing the right thing. I know I'm about to make a big breakthrough, either you know, by, by a big change in my life or a big challenge in my life. Most people, and you probably I think you saw my post today about the, the, the coffin exercise. Mm -hmm. I encourage everybody to read this coffin exercise that I do at my live events. You're sitting there. What's the name of the company again? I'm sorry. MBS Highway. M say again. MBS Highway. MBS. I'm just gonna say the highway. So the MBS Highway. Okay. You're you're sitting there and you're an agent. Um, and you're 38 years old. You're gonna have regrets in life. Regret what you did, not what you didn't do. Right now, you're making excuses for all the things that you don't want to do, can't do, market's bad. I say, get in that damn roller coaster, let that bar come down across your waist, understand that once you get over the hill, that fear goes away. Mm -hmm. I have, that's the only way I know to exercise my risk tolerance, is to stand in the face of fear, know that I'm afraid to build a, 40, build a $50 million house without a buyer. I remember that there was a guy from MIT who said that man will be dumpster diving in a year because there's no market for a $50 million house. This was on the cover of USA Today. Me, little old me, with the long hair, looking like I shouldn't be in real estate. And here's this MIT professor saying that man will be dumpster diving. He said that young me. I'm like, oh my God, what if he's right? I'm terrified. Well, about four months later, I sold that house. I sold it for full price. I took a picture of me in the dumpster with a $50 million check. I sent it to that MIT guy and said, you're right. I am dumpster diving. I've got a big fat check in my hand. Why? I overcame the fear associated with the thought of building a $50 million spec house. Listen, Megan, I, I said I, I failed my bad water race five times. I, 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 did not, I would regret not trying the times that I might not have been prepared. So back to that thing, you're on your rocking chair or you're getting ready to get in your little coffin there and, and you're 85 years old. Regret what you did in life, man. Don't regret what you didn't do. Yeah. You know, I recently just experienced that same thing and I encourage everyone that is on here, think back to the past times where you were afraid to do something and maybe you're like I am and you sat there for way too long contemplating what action and what avenue you were going to take. But the second that you made a decision, instantly the anxiety went away and it's because you just simply decided to move forward. 
And I think that that is such a powerful exercise. The other thing that I think is really helpful too, is anytime that I'm sitting there and I'm kind of contemplating a decision and I'm not sure, you know, I'm afraid, is this the right decision? Is this the wrong decision? I love to sit down, think about it. And one thing that you can't make up is how your body feels. So I like to sit there, close my eyes and think about, okay, if I made this decision, how does my body feel right now? Taking the emotion out of it, but simply being in my body, what's going on? Am I clenching up or do I feel like I'm opening up? And then do that, you know, making the other decision that you might make. And you'll know right away from doing that exercise, what is you know, the best opportunity to go ahead and move forward with. And Frank, one thing I really want to talk to you about too is, you know, taking risk. You have taken a lot of risk. But one thing that I love about the risk that you have taken, not just building these million dollar spec homes, right, without having a buyer, but the other thing that you've taken risk on is how you go about marketing, these homes, right? And you, one thing that I love about it is you have taken things that you absolutely love doing magic, jumping out of planes, doing all these crazy things, but you love doing them. And I think that that passion, along with that risk taking, really created something beautiful. And I want everyone to kind of hear your story and your thoughts on that here, because we are in a market where you do have to get creative and take more risks. And I don't want them sitting here thinking that it has to be this boring, you know, different avenue that I need to try, you know, risk-taking on. It can be something fun, exciting, and exhilarating. So if you wouldn't mind breaking that down. I'm going to make it real simple. I, I There's a chapter in my Aspire book that, that reads, take an artist's approach to your craft. Take an artist's approach to your craft. Um, sacrifice bottom line for your reputation, build your reputation first, your bottom line will follow. When it comes to the, 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 I guess the theatrical side, and not everybody has that in them, but there's a method to the madness when it comes to the way we unveil our properties. My mom used to say, what, Mickey, she go, Mickey, why don't you just put out a for sale sign and a little open house sign and sell it that way? Mom, there's 50,000 people in the world that can afford, out of a population of 8 billion, that can afford what I do for a living. So I'm the opening act. I, I'm just the one, I'm the carnival barker, I'm the ringmaster, I'm the, the human megaphone that gets the attention, gets the person to the front door, because guess what, I don't come with the house. You could say, there's cynics that are listening to this saying, man, that guy, he's just a little much with the hair, the purple hair, and this and that. There is plenty of flash, there is plenty of sizzle, but I wouldn't be around for 35 years if there wasn't substance. It's the flash and the sizzle that gets them to the front door of the house. And then I step back and let my product, your product, do the talking. How can you be a better carnival barker, ringmaster, or human megaphone to call attention to the fact of what you do? I, listen, I, to, to be, if, you're, if you want to take an artist approach, I can't sing. I can't, I can't play an instrument. I can't sculpt. I can paint a little bit. I always wanted to be an artist. Think about Michelangelo, Van Gogh, Renoir, Monet. I wanted to be that of real estate. I wanted to be the Michelangelo, the Van Gogh, Renoir of real estate. Why? Because they make the most money. Look at what their paintings sell for. And I, I wondered, like, if, if Renoir, Monet was in the paint store, you know, or the art supply store, would he buy the cheapest brush, the cheapest palette, you know, the, the cheapest paint? No. I, took, I sacrificed margin to build my reputation. And then 
when the when I knew that product was man, I mean, go to our website, see some of the houses I built. They're the most beautiful, some of the most beautiful in the world. If only fifty thousand people can afford it, I can't be afraid to put on a sideshow to get people. Here's how it would go, Megan. Well, let's just use a real phone. So, so the the realtor would say, I don't know this guy. He's rappelling out of a, out of a helicopter. The 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 whole scene belongs in some back lot in Vegas or or Broadway. I don't know. It's a little, but you got to see this house. Mission accomplished, right? I'm done. I step back. The, the veil drops or lifts or what have you, and the true show starts when you walk in the front door. That should be the same approach you take to your mortgage or real estate business. Mm-hmm. It's listen. You're a personal brand. You are a unique brand. You're not Coke. You're not Apple. You're not Kleenex. You are Megan Anderson. I'm Frank McKinney. I need to use that personal brand to draw attention to what I do. And and I'm not talking about like, hey, look at me because I got purple hair. No, you are going to use your, you're going to get in a little focus group and you're going to ask your focus group, tell me, let's say Megan's, you're the one asking the group. Tell me what sets me apart. What what makes me a little bit different? What, how can I? What personality trait do I have that can help me accentuate my business? I'll never forget going out to dinner with Don King. He was a fight promoter. I don't know if you remember him, but he had the hair that stuck straight up. And we went out to dinner with him to negotiate a sale of a house to, to him and his wife. And I asked him. I said, Don, what, you know, I got to ask you, what's the deal with the hair? And he looked at me and he goes, Ain't that the pot calling the kettle black? Frank is a distinguishing physical characteristic. So there are things, he's just a fight fight promoter. If you strip it all down, I'm I'm the D word. I'm a developer. Don't call him that. I'm a real estate artist. These are all little nuances that I chose to kind of tweak my profession that allowed the people who love Van Gogh, Renoir, Monet to line up my average days on market, so you guys are into stats, I'm sure. They keep stats up to up to five million dollars. And up and up to five million dollars, the average days on market over the last 15 years has been about nine months. I mean, a few years ago, a year ago, it was nine days. My average days on market for those 44 houses, average selling price of 14 million is 54 and a half because of the marketing. You can make up for a lot of sins, meaning overpaying, like I overimproved the property and I went over budget. I took me way too long to get it done. But man, when we get that thing done, it's sold. Yeah. Now, there's one aspect that I kind of want to talk about that I think will kind of bring everything a little bit full circle as well. So, you know, we've been talking about overcoming adversity, right? having discipline, doing something every single day, accepting it, not giving it energy. But in order to wake up and do whatever it is that we're choosing to do every single day, we have to have not only clarity, but we have to have a purpose. And what do you say to people that are maybe struggling with, why am I doing this every single day? Why am I waking up deciding to do this? Well, if you hate what you're doing, you should you should stop it. If you're asking yourself that question on what is it, October tenth? Yes. You make you make a commitment to yourself that you are not going to ask yourself that same question on January one. And if you want to be super lazy, say by October tenth, twenty twenty four, I'm not going to ask myself that same question. You'll ask other questions. You'll have other issues, but not that same one. Mm. So there's a big 
there's a big difference between passion and purpose. Big. Like, I think passion is overused. I can have passion for chocolate, but it's not good for me. I can have passion for, you know, I don't drink, but I can have passion for alcohol or like be a wine connoisseur. It ain't that great. My purpose is what matters. And I struggled with that mightily when I was, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? 30 something. Okay, whatever. I'll say <laughs> yeah. When I was on the top of my career, the top of the heap, we're on the cover of uh, Miami Herald for selling the most expensive spec house in the history of Palm Beach County. My hands were raised in triumph. And I was, you know, you get, you're in the paper, you want to see if you're quoted right and your hair looks good and your clothes look right. And the house behind me was looking good. It was like a perfect commercial. Could have never, it's like I wrote it myself. But the look on, the smile on my face was fake, Megan, because I was a, I was a consumerist. I was a materialist. I was an egotist. And I realized, and I'm just going to go, I mean, I'm going I'm to throw a little Bible passage at you. If you're not in the Bible, just think of it as a great life mantra. To whom much is entrusted, much is required. To whom much is given, much is expected. And here I was, a very depressed, almost ready to jump off a bridge individual. I had reached the top of my profession, yet I had lost all the heart in my soul. All the soul in my heart was gone because all I cared about was more cars in my garage, clothes in my closet, food in my pantry, and money in my bank account. That was a horrible purpose. I asked my mentor, this was in the late 90s. I said, man, why do I feel, I'm going to curse one time. Why do I feel like shit? I should be on top of the world. Why do I feel terrible? He says, Frank, you found your professional highest calling. You know what it is, man. You are great at this real estate thing. What's your spiritual highest calling? Mm. What do you mean? What do you mean spiritual highest calling? I have no idea. Because why well, suggest you go out and find out what it is, and then maybe this depression will lift. And you know where you ought to start, Frank, because you're a you're a linear thinker. I heard you had a 1.8 GPA. You know, you're not that bright. Why don't you start? You provide housing to the you provide housing to the world's most wealthy. Why don't you provide housing to the world's most poor and desperately homeless? So you mentioned in the intro. Yep. 20 years later, we have built 30 self-sustaining villages in Haiti. I've provided 13,600 children in Haiti that if this was a hamburger, they're eating dirt flavored with bouillon and lemon juice. They're eating mud patties in Haiti. We provided 13,600 kids with a self-sustaining existence. So I found my purpose, Megan, and it's, it's not build, building mega mansions or closing a bunch of you know, mortgage deals and, and, and selling houses. I've used my professional highest calling and dovetailed it with my spiritual highest calling. And that, I would ask you, if you wake up in the, in the morning and say what Megan just said, like, why am I doing this? What, what is my spiritual highest calling? How can I marry what I do for a living with what I could do for others? And my God, when I started building these villages in Haiti, I mean, the donors that came forward, I, I don't fund this myself. You know, each village is a half a million dollars. You can do the math. It's a lot of money we poured over there. It, and I give talks to big real estate. You guys are in the real estate business. Find a cause that you can get behind as you go out and sell yourself that says for every mortgage I do, you know, in Haiti, you know, one, by the way, one book, if you guys buy one book, it's, it's 100 meals in one of our orphanages. So, you know, one mortgage deal I close, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provide, you know, 200 meals in Haiti, or I'm going to provide something to the war in Israel. You tie it to something. Yeah. But I plead with you, 
as someone who was ready to jump off a cliff when I was Megan's age to find your professional, I mean, your spiritual highest calling. That's your real purpose in life. And if I hadn't found it, Megan, if I hadn't found the Caring House Project Foundation and taken care of all those kids, we wouldn't be talking today. Oh, yeah, that is definitely some um, some wise words. And I love the fact that you kind of, you know, speaking to everyone here, find something that you're passionate about and tie it into kind of that branding as well. And the way that you kind of promote yourself and stand in the world. I've seen a lot of people do that out there. And it's impactful. And it's great to see we're definitely also in a day and age where where people like to see if my money is going here, it's going to be given back in this way. And so I think that it all kind of comes full circle in that regard. Don't listen, don't use the excuse that hey, that's easy for Frank to say, because he's got the money. Um, you, you, the three T's, I call it time, talent, and treasure. Before I had the treasure, before I had the talent, you've got the time, you've got the time to share. I, I omitted the part of the story where I went and I volunteered at a soup kitchen one hour a week to try to find my spiritual highest calling because I was so depressed. I was serving meals to the homeless. That was before Caring House. That was before Haiti. And I realized, my God, like I literally one day, I remember, never forget, I went and got an endorsement from Donald Trump. Forget the political figure. He was a real estate person way back then. He wasn't into politics. I got an endorsement from him for, for my first book, Make It Big, right in the back. It was a great endorsement. In Florida, they used to make fun of our different hair, hairstyles. So I said, Donald, you know, we, we're on this hair thing. Why don't you give me an endorsement for my book? I, I left his office in Palm Beach at Mar-a-Lago, and I went out in this beat-up Econoline van serving meals to the homeless in South Florida. And I felt just as home at home in his office as I did in the back of that van, van feeding the homeless. That said, I felt so alive. Like, man, this is this is where it's at. And so, you know... When I do my book tours, we, we just finished a book tour right, right after I, or maybe it was right, yeah, right after I met you. Uh, we don't do radio stations, TV stations, and podcasts while we do some of that. Homeless shelters, soup kitchens, food pantries, juvenile detention centers, women's facilities, veterans facilities, delivering the message of hope to people who have lost everything. The last thing I want you to do, and you too, the last thing I want you to do listening, watching, is lose hope because there's plenty of opportunity out there. Somebody's going to make the money. Somebody's going to succeed. Why not? You know, why not you? With your spiritual highest calling at the forefront of your mind. I want to mention one more thing because you mentioned the book tour. And I, I recently did this exercise and I, I learned it from you. Is um, you know, while you're doing your book tour and you're you're going around, you also visit graveyards. Right. And I, when you first told me the story, I was like, okay, this is kind of, it's kind of creepy, you know, uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> but, but I was going through a challenging time and it really, I, I went to the graveyard and I'm hanging out and I'm imagining myself dying essentially. And what it does is very quickly puts you in perspective of what is important in life. Yeah. What do you want to achieve in life? And, um, you know, maybe just talk a little bit about that to the audience. Well, I'm going to tell you, while you guys are listening, go, don't go away too far, but go to Instagram, follow me, or you don't have to follow me, just read my last post about this coffin exercise. And it basically is what Megan says, is putting yourself in this coffin. And, and, and at my live events, I had a coffin, we put it on stage, I bring up some volunteers, we put them in the coffin, we close it up to their chest, and we would say, all right. 
to the audience. I have a little microphone. I'd be holding their hand. Tell, tell us one fear that's holding you back from accomplishing one of your goals or aspirate, life's aspirations. And, you know, through trembling hands and tears and, you know, just tension, they would tell what it was. I would then, with these angels, with these angels that were all, you know, in these angel outfits, we'd get them out of the coffin. And, and I told them to look back inside that coffin and said, the only thing that's going to die tonight is that fear. That's the only thing that's going tonight is the fear. Look at it. It stays in the coffin. One day you will be laying in this coffin for real, all body having left, all, all life having left your body. So, you know, some people say I'm obsessed with death. I'm, listen, the people who are afraid to, to die are afraid to live. I mean, I, I am not afraid to die. I, I, I love going to, to cemeteries and taking pictures because I know how many regrets were taken to the grave because of that one word, fear. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, they don't all have to go run out to the, the graveyard because it's, you know, well, maybe you'd want to for Halloween. It's a little spooky. But one day you'll be laying in that coffin or you'll be cremated or whatever it is you want to do. How many aspirations will you take with you because you were afraid to pursue them? Mm-hmm. I love that. We are coming to a close on the webinar and we won't have time to go over, you know, the rest of the chapters in the book, but can you maybe tease what the last four chapters stand for or an about? And I will go ahead and put the link to all of his books in the chat as well. Yeah, so we got, we got questions there. There's no way we can answer those, right? Or those, or those just statements. I don't know. Maybe they're those are basically people asking you to finish the letters in the adversity chapters. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. So the S chapter is the most philosophical philosophical chapter. It's savor everything, cling to nothing. I'm not going to go too deep into that, but there were times in my illness that I was savoring to progress with my numbers, my blood work, and all that. And then there was a bit of a hiccup, and I completely spiraled downhill. I learned in life to savor everything, cling to nothing. It's, it's, it's a very kind of, you know, Eastern way of, of thinking. Um, ADV or SI, I am not alone. I am not alone. You're not going through this adversity alone. I chose to use that with a religious reference and my faith in God. You can choose to use it for that purpose because I am I'm a Christian or who is going through this adversity with you knowing that you are not alone. T, time to terminate. Very quickly, most adversities in your life terminated on their own, meaning with the passage of time, they terminated. If I look back at some of mine before I knew this concept, I could have terminated them much earlier. If I called, time to terminate. Like, this is it, Frank. You no longer have this disease. You no longer have to freak out about this disease. You don't have to think about it every day. Time to terminate. T, time. You call time to terminate. Don't let time pass and terminate it on its terms. And the why chapter is very simple. Why not you? Why? Like, not W-H-Y, but why not you? It worked for me. These nine steps work for me. It's worked for me now physically twice, Megan. It worked for me with my knee replacement. It worked for me with my, my business as I back tested it, and certainly with my marriage. So adverse intelligence, easy read. It's 100 and whatever, 80 pages. And if you do get a copy, it, you know, you're, you're providing 100 meals to one of our orphanages in Haiti. Well, I want to thank you for today. And I want to ask you one last question before we wrap everything up. And that is simply for those of the, for those that are tuning in, listening, 
listening to this or tuning in later, watching this on our YouTube or on our podcast channel, what is something that you want to have them walk away and do today? Here's, here's the thing. When I'm on the other end of calls like this, which I do, I love going to learn. I make it a rule to only focus on taking one, maybe two things away. I gave you a hundred nuggets today and you're going to get all stressed out trying to do them all. Do not do that. Re-listen to this. If you've been taking notes, go through and highlight the one, maybe two things that you want to implement. You, if you took a lot of notes, which I bet a bunch of you did, the first thing is, you know, okay, I have a de attention deficit disorder. I can't focus on this. It's just another to-do list. Frank was great, but oh my God, it's too much. No. One thing. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. You decide what it is. And then on October 17th, a week from today, hold yourself accountable or find an accountability partner. Did I implement? You didn't have to complete it. Did I start that one thing that Frank said, I can pick? Like, I'm not going to pick it for you. You pick it. That's how you make these little, you know, relentless forward motion progress to accomplishing something. Once you do that, Megan, what have you done? Even if you failed, you begin to build confidence. You know, that's what action does. It builds, you could fail. I failed five times in that race, but it builds confidence, belief in yourself. Say yes more than no, and you'll, you'll see what happens to your confidence meeting. All right, you guys heard it. Thank you guys for tuning in. And Frank, thank you for your time today.